the week before, and I asked them, hey, what are you going to speak about? And then uh, I decide to, uh, that's, what I, that's what I'll do my sermon on. So, Brant, you know, what now? Uh, Brant, I loved your uh, meditation. What, what do we do with the risen Christ? And, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, so let, let, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the, the power that you provided for us through the resurrection. And I thank you for the, the love that you've given us and the love that we can share, your love amongst each other, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to uh, accept your love and then to pass it on, to spread the good news, not to prevent it from spreading, Lord, but to take your message of salvation and of hope through the resurrection to our community. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So what do we do now in response to the risen Christ? We'll be going through Matthew chapter 28, verses 10 through 20. Uh, Like Brant did, rewinding back to the Good Friday, uh, the original one, when Jesus was put on a cross, uh, we see that as as an ultimate low. And then rewind that a week earlier, and we see the triumphant entry. Uh, Jesus comes into town, and all of his followers were super excited. Like, here comes the king, here comes the Messiah that's going to uh, deliver our people. Here comes a leader that is going to straighten everything out. They are excited, it's it's good, and and then the crucifixion happens in his ultimate low, and then the resurrection. And with the resurrection, their hope begins to build again. And at first, they don't fully understand what it's all about, although they probably should have. But as it goes on, they learn more and more, and the excitement and the drive to spread this news builds. Now, one of the first things that we see after Jesus' resurrection, Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn there, uh, is that Jesus is telling his followers to go. And to go and to spread the good news of the risen Christ. We're going to see the guards also, the leading priests, the uh, elders. We're going to see them try to stop the spreading of the risen Christ. There is something yelling back at me. There we go. Now, so the risen Christ uh, is, is the thing that they are responding to and the disciples and Mary and the ladies, the followers, they are going to spread it. The guards, as we'll read about, the elders and the Pharisees are trying to stop it. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and had told the leading priests. Let me start with verse 8, actually. The women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. They rushed to give the disciples 
the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, they grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and see they will see me there. The women, the disciples, uh, they come from the tomb that was empty when they went to it. They didn't find Jesus there. And Jesus told them to go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. We get instruction here. Now, let's go back to Friday night again. In Mark chapter uh, 14, verse 27 through 31, we see these instructions three days prior, but in a little bit different way. Verse 27, on the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the Scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Then Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared empathetically, empathetically even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you and all the others vowed the same. So Jesus kind of gives the disciples a heads up here. Look, you're going to deny me. You're not going to hold fast. And he gives them instructions though. Verse 28, uh, after he has died and raised from the dead, meet him in Galilee. Now on Friday night, before Jesus' resurrection, um, before he dies on the cross, the disciples can see Jesus face to face and in the flesh. They are there with him physically, but they're not on the same page as Jesus. They're not grasping his plan or what is going on. You know, and they guarantee, man... They're never going to leave him, never going to forsake him. We see a few days after that, actually this very night, Peter denies Jesus. Judas betrays him and Mark runs away naked. But after the resurrection, that was before, after the resurrection, they respond differently. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after the resurrection. They seem to respond differently because before they didn't go to Galilee to meet him. And while Jesus was in the grave, or maybe he wasn't, after that point, they didn't understand. And they weren't going to Galilee. They were upset. They were worried. Understanding sometimes comes as we are going. Does that make sense? 
Sometimes, if we are to understand, it happens while we are on the go, while we are doing something, during the process of obedience, of obeying. I used to work at uh, B&W Trailer Hitches, and um, I was a technician of CNC machines, and so these big machines that would make uh, trailer hitches would would break down, <clears throat> and they were huge, and a maintenance man, a technician, would have to uh, make them run again. So a uh, very high, uh, high priority deal when one of those breaks down, thousands of dollars, the, the supervisor's always breathing down the back of your neck, let's get it going, thousands of dollars, we're losing um, every hour that this machine is not running, and so there, someone had to fix it, and I was trained by an older fella who knew how to do this well. And the first time I remember working on a machine, I watched him do it, and he said, you're going to need to write this down. So I did. I wrote step for step, and about 150 steps later, I'm never going to learn this. But, you know, the next time one broke down, the fellow wasn't there that day. I had to do it on my own. So I'm looking at my paper full of a hundred and so many steps, and, and I start to do it, and some steps seem silly. Like, make sure that you do this. I'm like, I d- that doesn't make sense. And so I started skipping, and I would pay attention to about every third or every fifth step that was the important steps. The other ones didn't seem to matter. It didn't make sense to me, and I got it done uh, in pretty good time. After you get it all put back together, the the whole machine tore apart, rebuilt, put back together. You had to program the software, and there's steps for that. And you program the software, and then it runs. Except for when I got that first one done, it didn't work. And again, the supervisor breathing down your neck. uh, You know, we're losing money. uh, Let's get this done. And, And so I tried again, and I added a few more steps in this time. And another day and no machine working. By this time, I'm on the verge of being fired, probably. It's what it felt like. And uh, I got my paper out, and I decided, the fellow was back, by the way, and the supervisor says, no, he's not helping you. You're going to do this on your own. And so I did every single very little bitty step when it told me to uh, put a bearing in this way with this tool and this particular specific way I did it exactly not understanding all those little bitty steps but I did it because that was the only way that would seem to work and when I was done it worked and life was good again hitches were being made boy how many times do we uh, learn as we go. The more that I worked on those machines for a few years after that, I, I got to learn all those little bitty steps. They make sense now. Why he wrote down this and why he did this, it makes perfect sense after you do it 50 or 100 times. Is there anything in life that you've learned on the way? You didn't understand it at first. It didn't make sense. But as you start to do it, And as you get better at it, it makes sense. And then when you teach someone else, you want to tell them, hey, little steps, don't leave these out. They're important. Obeying our Father God and obeying 
His Son, and the Holy Spirit is a priority. And He tells us, He gives us instruction, and we tend to want to skip every three or four or five steps and just do the big important ones that we can pull out. And often it doesn't work, and we find ourselves back to the beginning, having to rebuild again. Listen, you may not know what God's plan is or why He is having you do something, but just make it easier on yourself and everybody else by obeying God the first time. If you're holding, by the way, onto a particular uh, a struggle or, or sin in your life, um, then what does God's Word say? If we are to obey God's Word, then Acts chapter 3, verse 19 <clears throat> tells us to repent of our sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Now, who wants everything difficult, all the bad things that you've done just wiped away? I for sure do. I want it just wiped away. If we are to have that happen, then we are to obey God's Word and we are to turn to Him. And that includes repentance. If we believe and obey, then we will be able to get on with spreading the good news to everyone else. Which is what we see the disciples doing. After the risen Jesus, after Jesus comes back out of that grave, then we see the disciples say, it makes more sense now. And they go, and they start to spread the good news. On the other hand, we see the leading priests and the guards and the elders. And they tried to stop the good news. Verse 11. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so that you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews. <clears throat> so the guards told the priests what had happened. Uh, verse 11, they told the leading priests what had happened. Now, we don't, we can read this. So we weren't there though. We don't know exactly what happened, but we can read what the guards seen. What happened? So I want to review that. If they told them what happened, let's start. And I'll just read in general to you. Uh, chapter 27, verse 62 says, On the next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees, they went to see uh, Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that the deceiver once said that he was, while he was alive, after three days I will rise from the dead. Deceiver, by the way, take note, is Jesus. They uh, feel like they have even given him an evil name here. Uh, so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. 
This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body. And then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb, posted guards to protect it. And we know uh, early on the next morning, what we celebrate on Easter, suddenly there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a great faint. Mm. Into a great faint. So, here we know what happened. The guards, the leading priests and the elders, they knew what Jesus plan was because they had heard it that his plan was to raise from the dead after three days and so they said let's not let that be faked make sure guards are there so the disciples don't uh, guard it and so they posted guards there probably the biggest healthiest strongest Roman guards that they could find they put there because this would be a, a great detriment to their reign, to their rule, to their government, if the Jews came into power somehow. And as we see, uh, what happened is the angel of the Lord, he comes down, rolls away the stone, and the guards, man, our big old healthy strong guards, what happened to them? They peed themselves, passed out cold, and there they are. Oh. I mean, what are they? What are they thinking? They they, they go back and they they tell uh, the guards or the the elders what had happened. And what was they telling them? I mean, I, I don't know what they told them, but uh, describing what they what happened to them, they passed out. They probably told the elders, the, the leading priests, must have been the Son of God. The angel of the Lord came down. It was so scary. We don't know what happened to us. Oh. That's what happened. And I don't know what's worse. The, the dirtbag priests who offered the bribe or the gutless cowards of guards who accepted the bribe. Either way, what we see here is the denial of a supernatural event by replacing it with a natural event. Oh, we do it today. You ever pray about something? You pray about something that you want to happen and then uh, when it happens or you pray about something not to happen, when it doesn't happen, um, you explain it away naturally. Oh, we probably don't intentionally do this. Uh, I, you know, we, like we pray for uh, our, our, our kid to get arrive safely. You know, pray for my daughter to arrive safely at college when she drives back too late. 
on a Sunday night, and uh, turns out she makes it safely. And I, I don't think about it much, but if I were to think about it, well, I, I must have trained her to drive pretty good. Uh, she must have good headlights. Um, you know, the, the weather must have been good. That's why she made it there safely. Teenagers, uh, you know, I, I'm not even quite sure why people can drive under the age of 21 or under the age of, of 18. Uh, a person's mind is not fully developed. I mean, we let people uh, vote and buy handguns and smoke cigarettes after, after 18. Why would we let them drive uh, when they're 15? Anyway, that's, that's an, another story, I guess. I probably had a different opinion when I was young. But, uh, you know, I pray for that. But then when it happens, I don't see it as a blessing from God. Uh, I see it as something natural. Something natural that happened. How often do we miss God's power in our lives? God's changing uh, things. God's protection. Because we're explaining it away in a natural way. And I don't know. You know, maybe if we were to see God's power happen in the same way, we would fall down and pass out, right? At least the most supernatural miracle that has happened, we see that happen. These big old guards, when Jesus was raised from the tomb after the angel came down, and these guards are making, well, the elders are making stuff up to hide it. And by the way, do you see the flaw in here, verse 13? See the flaw in what they're making up? It says, the soldiers, they told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. I hate to pick on these these guards too much, but... uh, First off, if they were sleeping, how would they know the disciples stole his body? Uh, Secondly, maybe they woke up, they were sleeping, and they woke up at the last minute, and the guards had Jesus running off. Do you think that uh, they were okay with saying, hey, these scrawny little disciples overpowered us and stole Jesus? Or they outwitted us and stole Jesus. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Ah, there's uh, flaws in their excuse, like there always is when we make things up. Bottom line, they rejected the truth, and they attempted to stop the spread of the good news. And they made up a story. They spread their fake news Their fake story. Verse 15 says their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Uh, Still today. Folks are being led astray because of these guys who created their own reality to prevent something that they didn't like. This is a good reminder to tie us to what is true and what is good. Do not 
allow yourself to be pulled in to deception so that you would stop or prevent the spread of the good news. So our question is, what will you do in response to the risen Christ? Are you going to be like the disciples and the women? Jesus said, go and spread the good news, and they did. Or are you going to be like the guards, the priests, the elders, and stop the spread of the good news by covering it up, by telling lies, taking bribes, and ignoring the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. Verses 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. Worship or doubt? So they worshipped Him, but some of them they weren't so sure. And when we say when we say worship, you know, are, are you going to worship or are you going to doubt? The first thing that pops in your mind uh, uh, with, with worship might be the singing. And the, the Billings did an excellent job today. Thank you, Billings. Um, you know, some of you guys are like, man, I love me some worship on Sunday mornings. That's what you come here for. You get to participate in that, the singing, and that's great, and we can see that. I, I love that, and I, I, I know a lot of you guys do, but, but some of uh, you others are, are saying, man, there's one thing that uh, I could do without on, on Sunday mornings. It's, it's uh, standing awkwardly while everybody else is singing because I don't like to sing, and I don't necessarily relate to music and so in that case i want to tell you that worship isn't just singing i want to tell you a little bit about what the bible says about worship you see worship scripture explains to us is an act that moves you closer and deeper towards god luke chapter 4 verse 8 tells us that we must worship the lord your god and serve him only the must and the serve go together. We must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Only God are we to worship. Only Him are we, able, are, are we to uh, give to ourselves 100%. And so from that verse we can say worship is a part of our duty as Christians. Uh, worship is an inward commitment, a loyalty and a love expressed outwardly in many different ways. We must not put it inside of a box and say, worship has to be this. And the way this dude worships is the way I need to worship because uh, that's the rule, but that's not the case. God gives us plenty of examples of, of how we can worship in the Word, by Word, with Word. This would include praying, Praying is part of worship. Uh, singing, of course, falls under that. Uh, spreading the good news. How many of you guys get excited about telling people about salvation through Jesus because their uh, stress and their fear is lifted after that? Uh, that can be a part of worship. We worship with deed uh, by what we do. In Scripture, um, the, the word worship is often related to bowing down, uh, to fasting, 
to uh, giving up something for a certain amount of time, <clears throat> to tithing, tithing is a part of worship, and offering sacrifices. Now, we don't offer sacrifices the same way we did before Jesus. But sure, there are some things that we can sacrifice, like our time. Maybe we can give uh, something that we have to someone else, and that can be a part of worship that we are able to take part in that will bring us closer to God, deeper in a relationship with Him. And you know, we can worship in obedience. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than that of rams, the fat of rams. So we tend to think, man, these guys are in in, in the mode of, well, we must do this. We must have burnt offerings. We must have an extra fat ram because that will be the best kind of worship. But he says, listen, obedience is better than then sacrifice and submission is the be- is better than offering fat of rams. Obedience. Hmm. Humility and repentance are part of what God tells us to do. It's part of obeying Him, working towards being humble and repenting and uh, obedience in the way of when we are told go, when God tells us to go, uh, we do that. And when He tells us to stay, uh, to stay and, and, and to love someone, uh, to serve, uh, we get uh, the, the character of God is such that if we, if we follow that and love like He loves, uh, serve like He serves, um, then we are able to understand a little bit of how he works and who he is. When we understand that, that's, that's worship. That's, that's uh, bringing us closer to him, deeper into a relationship with him. One of the things that uh, is, is a part of obedience that Jesus does, Jesus gives us a good example, is baptism. Jesus was baptized himself and and in, in the verses later on that we're about to read, uh, he tells us to baptize folks in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Part of obedience. John chapter 4, verse 24 tells us that worship can be in spirit and truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth we would all agree that we are in a spiritual battle right now. I mean, we've always been in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual battles waging a war on us and our community all the time. If we are able to fight in spirit and take part in these spiritual battles, then worshiping in the spirit should come along with that. Worshiping in spirit. And in truth, this is uh, back to worshiping with our words just by telling just telling uh, the truth being honest saying what is good and not sugarcoating or uh, 
not being extra negative. Just let your word be what you mean by telling the truth, a a way that we can worship. And uh, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we see a, a, a good illustration. What can bring... What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring Him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer Him thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right. To love mercy and to walk humbly. We do all that with God. That's worship. Now some of the disciples, they worshipped. Some of them, in that verse, doubted. They weren't quite sure. And doubt isn't necessarily one of those evil things. It can, be, it can be something you use for good. Doubt can cause you to hesitate and turn away, but it can also cause you to question, to investigate, like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 7, verse 11 through 12. I really like the way that these guys handle this. Um, they're, they're so cool. We should use them as an example. Uh, verse 11 of Acts chapter 17 says, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Uh, they wondered, boy, I wonder if that's true. And so they went back to Scripture and they searched it. This is part of the doubt that we can use to our advantage. We can pursue the truth if we doubt something. Uh, You guys know the story of the case for Christ. Um, This is a story of someone who really doubted, but he became a prominent, hardcore follower of Jesus and wrote books. And all because it started with, just don't believe that that could be possible. But he didn't let it stop there. He didn't stop the spread of the good news. He wanted to learn more. And so he dove into it. It led him to a place of worship. What will you do in response to the risen Christ? Will you worship him? Or will you doubt him? Jesus met the disciples in Galilee just like he said that he was going to do. And he told them, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The authority and the assurance of Jesus allows us to have bold confidence. Notice Jesus says He has all authority in heaven and earth and that we can be sure 
that he is with us always. We can be bold and we can be confident. We can respond to the risen Christ with bold confidence by making disciples and by uh, making disciples because we know the way and by teaching because we know the truth and by baptizing because we know being reborn gives abundant life. So if we, if Jesus tells us to teach them and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are we going to obey that? We have some folks uh, that have expressed the desire to be baptized uh, in, in obedience to following Jesus' example, and I'm super excited about that. And I'm looking forward to uh, to doing this and to, to being obedient to what Jesus is telling us to do in making disciples. That's something, this obedience and baptism, that moves you closer to Jesus. Now, I would like to invite uh, any of you guys that are believers and have not been baptized yet to consider taking this step. The next few weeks, next two weeks, we're going to have uh, a time after church. We're going to have lunch there. And uh, it'll be a time where you can just you can hang out and, and eat and you can ask me questions and, and we'll discuss baptism. And I, I know a few folks have, have uh, expressed wanting to learn more about it. So that'll be a time when we can just discuss baptism and we'll have teaching on it and, and uh, questions. And then following that, on May the 2nd, at Cedar Valley, after church, I want us to go there, and I think that's our normal potluck time. We'll have a time of a good old-fashioned uh, baptism Sunday. And we'll get out in the lake and get wet and obey Jesus. If you have any questions, uh, ask me uh, later on. We'll discuss that. But I want to remind you that uh, how are we to respond to the risen Christ? Well, first of all, we should respond by going when he says to go. Second of all, we should respond by worshiping him and obeying what he tells us to do. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word and for your guidance. Lord, I thank you for these folks here. We gather to praise your name. And we do that, God. We praise you for the gift of salvation and for you being raised from the dead so that we could have new life after, after our old lives. Lord, after sin, Lord, that we could have your glory because of what you've done for us. We look forward to seeing you someday face to face and we take part in your kingdom, your Holy Spirit now as you are part of us. It's in Jesus' name, God, that we pray. Amen.